Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. The book of Acts chapter 10. Good works will flow from a saved life, but they won't save you. So sometimes we put a lot of stock in what we do and how we act and things we do on certain days of the week, but devoutness in and of itself is not salvation. Jesus Christ saves. And if you look at Acts 10, this is the heart of the matter. Look at verse 43. When Peter preaches, which we'll see next time, he's preaching of Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and he says in Acts 10:43, of him, that is Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins. You see, Cornelius, as devout as he was, was still not forgiven. Please hear that. As devout as he was, he had not had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to his account. That's why this whole chapter is there. Because just being a pious person, a religious person, is insufficient because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world, to save us from our sins. Amen? That's why this is here. So here's Cornelius. He's a man of prayer. Acts chapter 10, verse 3, about the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m., one of the times of Jewish prayer, the evening sacrifice hour. He clearly saw in a vision. The word vision there in Greek is the same word used for what the apostles Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. It doesn't mean that Cornelius just experienced this in his head. The Greek word speaks of a visionary experience with the aspect of what you see. He had a vision. You know what I'm saying now? He saw this. He experienced this particular account, but it was very special. He saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, can you imagine being in prayer? <laughs> All right, this is my normal prayer time. You're in your prayer closet, wherever you decide to go, and someone comes in and says, Michael! And he's a real shiny looking being. You're like, Wah! that's not what I expect when I go into prayer. But what's cool about this is that this angel shows up and knows Cornelius's name, calls him by name. We had a lady in our uh, office some years ago sweet lady named Mary and she would answer the phones for the company every time I approached Mary didn't matter how I approached her she would come out of her skin just when I said hello she's one of those jumpy people I'd say good morning Mary <laughs> Michael what do you do I said what I just said good morning right how can I approach you good morning <laughs> it didn't matter how you approached her She's just that kind of person. Oh, you frightened me. Could you imagine being in prayer maybe having your eyes closed on your knees and an angel says hey you're like, wow! I would be freaked out at this point, for sure. Now, we learned from Acts 10, verse 30, that uh, Cornelius was praying in his house. Go there for a second. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, now notice how he describes the angel. A man stood before me in shining garments. So angels sometimes appear in human form, and this particular angel appeared in some human form, but he had shining clothes on. I don't know where he shopped, but he had shining. That's, that's just the way it is with angels, right? They, they tend to shine because they're in the presence of God. And, and Cornelius sees the angel, and the angel calls him by name, and it just reminds me that not only does God know our name, but angels know our name. 
And when Daniel opened his window to Jerusalem and prayed three times a day, he was praying to the God of heaven and having God's heart for Jerusalem. And when an angel appears to Daniel later, he says, Daniel, you are greatly loved in heaven. Wow. That's what I want to be. I want to pound the gates enough to where they know my name and they know when my prayers are coming up. Not in any proud way, but just to know that I'm spending enough time to be known in heaven. And fixing his gaze upon him, this is Acts 10, verse 4. So the idea is Cornelius is obviously freaked out and he's staring at this angel and being much alarmed. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms, that's your giving, have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, we sometimes ask the question, if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ, do their prayers get any farther than the ceiling? Apparently, some prayers do. Because the prayers of Cornelius and his giving had come up as a memorial before God. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Memorial simply means a memory or in remembrance. This weekend we are celebrating or honoring our veterans. What are we remembering? Their sacrificial service to the country. What they have done to give us freedom. Well, here the term memorial literally means remembrance and it's language of Old Testament sacrifices. Just write this down. This is Leviticus 6.15. It's speaking of a grain offering. It says, He shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, a soothing aroma as its memorial offering to the Lord. In Philippians 4.18, Paul's talking about a financial gift from the Philippians and he says, It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice to God, well-pleasing to God. This is Old Testament sacrifice language. And somehow, in Cornelius' life, his lifestyle and prayers had come up before God as a soothing aroma. Now, if you ever had a neighbor doing a barbecue and that smell of that good barbecue comes over to your fence, you kind of get in the idea of a soothing aroma. Like, I got to get to know that neighbor better, man. So they invite me next time to the barbecue, right? right? And, and our lives can be that to God. Our offering can be that to God. However, there's some times in the Bible where it says that a nation's choices and sins come up in the nostrils of God and become a stench in his nostrils. And he says, that stinks. And the question that we always have to ask, right, is where are we? What kind of aroma is coming up to God from our life? Well, in the case of uh, Cornelius, however you want to categorize it in your views of salvation and your, your views of how people get saved, God saw what Cornelius was doing before he became a Christian. Now the question becomes, well, how are people like this? Let's say that there's a person in a wor- uh, part of the world that's never heard the gospel, but they, they see creation, they sense their conscience, and, and they're starting to reach out and they want to know more about God. What does God do? I believe, and this is very important if you're a note taker, I believe Romans 1 teaches that there's a light of creation. What I mean by that is an evidence of creation uh, that proves that there's a God. Romans chapter 2 talks about the light of conscience. Romans 3 talks about the light of Christ. I believe if you respond to what you see, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and you respond to your conscience that you've sinned against God and you're made in his image, I believe you will get the light of Christ. I think he'll send you a missionary. He'll put it on their heart to come to your land or God can do it anyway. He can, he can reach a tribe that's never had a missionary. We've heard stories about that. We don't even know how these people got knowledge of the true God, but, but they do among their tribe. How did that happen? Because God does not reject true seekers. If someone seeks the Lord, he will be found. He's not hiding from anybody. He's not willing that any perish, but all come to what? 
repentance. So why would he hide if someone was sincerely seeking him? He won't. He's going to respond. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. And so here we have Cornelius. And so what does the angel tell Cornelius to do? Well, he says now, verse 5, dispatch some men to Joppa. Remember, Joppa was the point uh, in the geography where Jonah had run away from God. He said, I'm going the other way. I'm not going to the Gentiles. Well, Joppa becomes the point where Peter will go to the Gentiles. Interesting geography there. Jonah ran, Peter obeys, and he's going to respond. Send to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. Now, isn't it cool that God knows exactly to send, he, he directs uh, through the angel Cornelius to send for Peter. And, and that's my question for me, is if there was a, a sincere seeker, would he say, hey, go, uh, let, let this person cross paths with Michael because I know he'll preach the true gospel. Put your name in there. That's what we want to do. We want to make ourselves available to the Lord of heaven. And so another thing to keep in mind is God, through the angel, knows exactly where Peter is. He knows exactly where he is, both geographically and you can apply this metaphorically. God knows where you are at all times. Whether you're on vacation somewhere by a cozy uh, beachfront property or not, right? He knows where we are. That's not to make us feel guilty about stuff, but just to remind us that our God is in heaven and he's in control. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier, probably of similar faith to Cornelius, of, the, of those who were in constant attendance upon him. So he got the devout soldier and a couple of attendants and he shares the story. After he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa, about 30 miles to the south of Caesarea along the, the coast. And on the next day, verse 9, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So God, do you see God working both sides of the equation? He's working in the life of the seeker, and now he's going to work in the life of the messenger. Peter goes up at a normal prayer time. He goes up on a roof. There were flat roofs in the Mediterranean world at that time. People often go up there to pray. Do you have a rooftop? I'm not talking about a slanted roof. Don't go up there and pray. That's a bad idea, especially if you're older. Check your insurance. But they had, they had outward, outside stairwells. And this, this time of year, it gets dangerous for us who are getting older too with the Christmas light thing. So anyway, but so they had these flat roofs. They would go up there and they would spend some time meditating and seeking the Lord. Do you have a place? Do you have a rooftop, quote unquote? You know, in our culture, it's becoming less and less that we as believers have some time just to seek the Lord in prayer, to be quiet before our God to let him speak to our hearts. And there's Peter, and he goes up there to pray. He's done this at the sixth hour, and God is setting up the divine appointment, and he became hungry. All of you should mark that in your Bible, because this gives all of us hope when we're praying. It's not a sin to become hungry when you're praying. Ever been there before? All right, I'm going to get serious about my prayer life now. I'm going to, this time of day, I'm going to pray your lunch hour. And you start to pray, and all of a sudden, gurgle, 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 gurgle. <laughs> Stomach starts talking to you. Like, or, or you say, ah, I know, I'm going to turn off late night television and I'm going to start ending my day in prayer. Oh, Lord. <sighs> right? Well, at least you're falling asleep praying, right? You could be doing other things. Well, there's Peter, and he became hungry. This gives us all hope, and he was desiring to eat natural. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Now, this is something like a very pointed vision from God. 
Now, it's interesting that God's going to use Peter's hunger to kind of guide what he sees here. Another thing, just a side note, Jews did not eat at noon like we do. They ate a light morning meal and late morning, and then they would eat a more substantial meal in the mid-afternoon. That's kind of how they did things. But for whatever reason, Peter's hungry, and they're preparing food. He's up there, he's praying, and, be, and he falls into this trance, and he beheld the sky opened up. And a certain object, verse 11, like a great sheet was coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. The four corners may speak of the four compass points of the earth, and the linen sheet, or the great sheet is a linen cloth, and it could even mean a sail, and he was looking out on the Mediterranean Sea. So sometimes God will use very natural circumstances to kind of get our attention. And there were in it, uh, on the sheet now, all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures could speak of reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. So Peter's up there praying, he's a little bit hungry, and all of a sudden, everything opens up. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're spending time in prayer, things will open up for you? Things that were a little bit foggy will become clearer if you are seeking the Lord? Well, that's what's happening to Peter now, and so the sheet comes down, and it's definitely filled with unclean animals, may include all animals, clean and unclean, and a voice came to him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, he's seeing reptiles and unclean animals, maybe rabbits and pigs and lobster, all things that were off the Jewish menu. And he's told, arise, kill, and eat. This is now open to you. And you might want to write in here, sorry to all our vegetarian friends, but it is biblical to arise, kill, and eat. And all the hunters said, amen, or praise God. So, and Peter said, now notice, this is not what you should say to the one who you call Lord. By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. It's not kosher, Lord. No, no, no. Now, not so, Lord, or no, I won't, Lord, should not be in your vocabulary because when you call him Lord, that means he is your master. So you didn't come into your relationship with Christ, I hope, with a little, whatever you call it, a little qualification list, and you say, now, Lord, I'll be your bondservant. However, I don't do dishes. I don't do windows. I don't do lobster. If I, you know, you don't do that. When you call him Lord, he is Lord of all. Well, Peter said, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And Peter's view of the sheet begins to feed into his view of Gentiles. The Jews saw the Gentile diet as totally disgusting. How do you eat that? Ever been there before? You go on one of those uh, health food kicks, right? I'm juicing now, baby. I bought the $350 juicer, right? <laughs> you got to buy like $50 worth of produce to get a cup of the juice. <laughs> right? So <laughs> you're juicing, and then you go out to lunch with a friend of yours, right? They order a double cheeseburger. You're like, you know what? You're sick. There's something wrong with you. Two days later, after juicing isn't cutting it anymore, you know what you do? You go buy a double cheeseburger. But it's okay for you because you're under grace. Your friend's under law. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. So the vision connects to Peter's view of the Gentile world. Now get this, this is important. He saw the Gentiles as unclean. I'm out in the courtyard talking to a lady, precious woman of God. She says, Pastor Michael, I went through a divorce when I was younger and she said, when, I, when it happened, I was devastated. And she said, uh, one of the things that went through my mind was, God can never use me again. My life is over. And so she had this on her heart, and 
you know, things were going poorly. And she was sitting before the Lord in prayer, and this is what she shared with me. She saw something like a sheet coming down out of heaven. And God said, don't you call unclean what I have called clean. And she said the Lord spoke to her life about how even though circumstances were not what she wanted them to be, she wasn't to, to look at her life as unusable by God. Sometimes people are in that situation, you know? Or sometimes we categorize people and we say, oh no, they, they're never going to be saved. That country, those people, never. It's just not going to happen. And I, I'm going to close this message with a uh, paragraph from a preacher, Alexander White. He preached to his vast congregation at Free St. George's in Edinburgh and he said these words related to our text. He said, also like ourselves, for how we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about but their bad names that we have given them are in our sheet of excommunication also. All other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in a political state also. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. They are four-footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, there are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn, unless it is one here and one there out of our own family or school or party. And they also come under our scorn and our contempt the moment that they have a mind of their own and interest of their own and affections and ambitions of their own. Close quote. R. Kent Hughes comments. He says, It is easy to see what this attitude left unchecked would have done to the spread of the gospel. Large areas of the world would have been written off as beyond God's grace. Your salvation and my salvation would have been at stake because like Cornelius, I'm Italian. And had Peter not gone to the house of Cornelius, is it possible to consider that Christianity would have simply become another sect of Judaism? Because the Jews would have said, no, I'm not reaching out to those people. And imagine, we told the story of Gandhi and we asked, what if it would have been different? What if someone would have reached out to him with the love of Christ and said, you can come in, there's a seat here for you, you're welcome here. What might have changed in world history? Well, God is sovereign, we know. But ultimately, I think this section of Scripture asks us to ask questions like this. Do we write off people? Dr. H.A. Ironside said that when his father was dying, this passage in Acts was running through his father's mind and he kept repeating, a great sheet and wild beasts and, and, and he kept getting stuck. When he could not get the words out, he started over, a great sheet, wild beasts and... And he stalled in the same place again. Finally, a friend bent over and whispered, John, it says creeping things. And he went, oh yes, on his deathbed. He said, that is how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing. But I got in. And Hughes concludes, without a change in the apostolic attitudes, none of us would have heard the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. Don't call what I call clean, unclean. And so let's conclude. And again, a voice came, verse 15, to him a second time. We often need to hear things more than <laughs> once, right? A second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Peter will translate that and say, God has shown me that I am not to call unclean what he calls clean. And this happened three times, 16 
And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Three times. I started thinking, three times. Where was another place three times that the Lord said something to Peter? And I was thinking of a seashore after Jesus had risen from the dead. And I was thinking about a charcoal fire. And I was thinking about Peter who was reeling from his denial of Jesus. Three times. I don't know the man. I don't know that man. Right? And the cock crowed. And later on, Peter was trying to go back fishing and they saw this solitary figure on the seashore and they're trying to figure out what was going on. And the man said, have you caught anything? No, we've been fishing all night. Sound familiar? Well, put out over here and you'll catch. So finally, John recognizes it's the Lord. It's Peter who jumps into the water, swimming to the shore and up they bring a net and the net has 153 fish in it. Commentators have had a field day. What does the 153 mean? We don't know for sure. Some people think it means the catch of all the nations. 153, according to a friend of mine who studies Hebrew, in the numbers means I am God. Wow. Interesting. And then the fire, the fish, and the bread, a custom-made breakfast, and the Lord turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, you know that I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. A second time he looks at Peter. Peter, Do you love me, Lord? You know all things. You know that I love you. Then tend my lambs. Peter, a third time. Do you love me? Well, when he said it the third time, Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he said, then tend my sheep. Could we say at the conclusion of this message that the sheep that Jesus had in mind were not just Jewish believers? that Jesus was trying to get a much wider vision to Peter and say to him, you are going to take keys and open doors for people you cannot imagine, get it together, get restored, and get back in the game. You love me? Then feed my people. Amen? Now Peter, by that firelight, was restored. And what he thought maybe could never happen again, maybe he thought his life was over, maybe I'm going to go back and do what I used to do. I'm going back fishing. i got a question. Have you gone back fishing? And my second question is, how is it? Is there anything else that you could do but fulfill the calling of God in your life? I think that's what Acts 10 is all about. A man who's been readied for the mission that God had for him and he's starting to see the world through Christ's eyes. And when that happens, everything changes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. As we study this next Sunday, we're going to see the Holy Spirit is moving radically speaking to the situation guiding Peter and setting this whole scene up. This is you on display. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit and we see that you're moving in Cornelius' heart and Peter's heart to set up what we would call a true divine appointment. And we thank you, Lord, that you're still in that business. You still draw people to yourself. You still have hungry people all over the planet and you have messengers And this congregation is full of them who are saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. And you're doing miracles, Lord. You haven't stopped. You're continuing to call people and to show us your heart for the nations. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us more and more of that heart and passion. It's amazing to think that Peter died in Rome when he was probably crucified upside down from church history. He died in a very pagan area. Because he continued the mission that you'd given him, a heart for all people. And so, Lord, may you do surgery in our hearts, where we may have some hidden prejudices, where we may have some preconceptions about certain peoples. 
that we would be available to you to go and deliver the good news of freedom and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That's how this world will change. It's changed me in my house, and I know it's changed many who are listening now. So Father, may you just continue to speak to our hearts and fill us up with your presence so that we can allow you to order our steps. Father, I also think of our world, and I I also think of a couple sirens going by here and think of the fact that we don't have forever either. Uh, Now is the acceptable time. And so help us as your people to be spurred on to love and good deeds. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. We see the work of the Holy Spirit, and you had said something that, how did this man know who God is, and he is there in a country, in a region that's full of pantheon gods with the Roman Empire, and uh, perhaps he had seen other devout men who worshiped God, perhaps heard the stories that we would call the Old Testament now, but he grows into a faith, and we see that his actions are steered and driven by faith first. And then we see that because he has a faith in a God that he really doesn't know, that we see the actions coming out. And he also has his whole household that also believe in a God in whom they don't know yet. Oscar, I think we may be speaking to some people who listen to Christian radio, and they are people who are responding to the light that they've been given. They know the creation cries out for a creator. They hear the law of God in their conscience. Their conscience bears witness with their heart. And I think that um, Cornelius is that type of person that answers that question about if someone responds to the light they've been given, will they get more light? And Cornelius is about to get the light of the gospel through the lips of Peter. And I would just say, if you're listening right now, maybe you have friends, family who don't know that you listen to Christian radio, but you're intrigued by the gospel. You're hearing these stories and you believe the God of the Bible, the God of Israel is the God, the true God. Then I would just say to you, Open up your heart to Jesus Christ because the Lord wants to save you and he wants to move in your life. And I think that uh, Cornelius is a uh, kind of a model for that type of person. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith. Turning away from our sin, which is repentance, it literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God, to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross, 
and his resurrection and, and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ.